This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. We will begin uh, with the part one of dreams. Uh, Bezat Hashem, hopefully we'll be able to accomplish this in about three or four classes. That's the goal. And um, the idea is also why is there so many classes is, is when I was, um, you know, putting together this class, there was a few ways for me to actually, to actually go about doing this. Either I could have done it and given you one class and sort of given you a brief overview and basically go through every little bit and pieces to it and give you a, a little brief overview on the entire dream topic. But then you wouldn't have gained much information from it. So my goal is, is to go in a very systematic fashion that by the time, if you're following through through all the four, through all the four classes, um, you will have a very, very strong understanding on dreams. You'll understand what dreams are, re- which dreams are real, what dreams are fake. What science says about dreams versus what the Torah says about dreams. What, uh, what does certain dream interpretations mean? What happens when you get nightmares? What happens if you don't have dreams? What happens when you don't sleep? So there's going to be a lot of, lot of information, um, in these classes. So, uh, if there's something that you don't understand, please feel free to stop and, uh, uh, stop me and I'll try to explain it in, uh, more detail. So the first part, the way that I usually like presenting information, especially like these types of topics, is to see what science says about dreams, right? But before we begin with uh, with science, I want to I want to tell you a, a um, you know interesting dream story that uh, about a about a story that happened a true story that happened in the Holocaust. So this story was about two uh, children by the name of Esther and Yidel. They were orphaned when their uh, the Nazis broke into their home and. Uh, Basically, with two bullets, orphaned both, you know, from their parents. The mother and the father each got a bullet to the head in front of the children's eyes. And that was not an uncommon scene back in, uh, you know, in the Holocaust. And uh, they were both taken into a concentration camp. Somehow, miraculously, they were able to stick together. They were able to stick together. They stood together for two years, right? He was in the, in the, in the same camps. They were in the, one was in the boy section, one was in the, in the, in the female section. And, um, after two years, there was, uh, suddenly, they, the woman's side woke up with the loud, you know, lots of shouting and screaming and gunshots and dogs barking. And everybody was woken up. The commotion was like, what's going on? And one of the people that were in the camps for quite a while said, it must be someone tried to escape. And they said, oh, well, you know, and she was this, this older uh, um, woman that was in the concentration camp for a long time. She said, you know, like all these people, she says, How, what are they thinking? There is, you know, electric, uh, the, the fences are all, uh, elect, uh, what is it, electrocuted? They're all, um, and they have towers, and they have guards, and they have dogs. Who could, how can you escape? You can't escape these things. And uh, the next day they found out, oh, let me you just remind me, I'm sorry to interrupt the story. We're learning the Ufwash Lemale, Sabina. Sabina Bina Bat Miravali. Okay, so um, the so what happened was is the next day there was a there was a old, there was another gentleman that came over to to Esther the, and she said you know I'm very sorry to tell you this but your brother was one of those that you know escaped and no one made it back no one made it back and um, you know and she you know this was her last this was her last straw that of her family ties. And she took it really hard. But at the end, she kept on saying to herself, her mantra was, it's better that he got a bullet in the back than dying in the gas chamber. At least it was, he got it better that way. And uh, she pushed through. Shortly afterwards, she got... Uh, she... Halakhically, it's better not to die. <laughs> no, 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 I'm saying, yeah, so, so it's... it's uh, um, it, it, first of all, your question goes into a long way, especially nowadays when people, let's say, are in life support, or um, you know, can they sign a do not resuscitate, do not intubate, right? A DNR, DNI. So, uh, certain under certain halachic uh, um, parameters, you are, but you have to speak to a competent Orthodox halachic rabbi, right? That that that's uh, that's familiar with these situations, right? And generally, you're not allowed to cut short your life. But 
there are always uh, different you know, criteria and scenarios that come into play. So going back to our story, she, um, she was, uh, shortly afterwards, she was taken to a, a death camp known as Sobibor, if I'm pronouncing it right, somewhere in Poland. And this was known as a death camp. People went there to die, and that was it. There was no like, people surviving it. The day that she came, it was with 800, 800 Jewish prisoners arrived in the same day that she came. Only seven was uh, still alive the next day. Luckily, she was one of those seven. And what happened was is that sometimes the Nazis needed, uh, you know, they needed some services from the Jews. So if let's say a you know, Jew was a craftsman or a dentist or whatever it was, they used his service. Okay, you're not going to die because we need you for today. So they, she, when, when they were killing everybody at that, in, this, in this death camp, they asked who knows how to knit. And she happened to know how to knit. So she, uh, she survived for, for now because of that. And uh, um, while they were, you know, the, the prisoners or the, you know, the, the Jews who were there in their bunks, they were thinking, they were like, listen, we have to escape. We're not going to survive over here. Our only choice out of here is to escape. So there were, um, you know, and, and, and that night was the, was the birth of the, of the first and probably the most successful escape from a Nazi concentration camp from, uh, um, of, uh, in, in, the, in the concentration camp history. So they... Uh, um, what happened was is that the next, uh, the next day, right before, they, they had a whole planned escape route, and the next night, right before, right before they were supposed to escape the next morning, she go, falls asleep. She falls asleep, and she has a dream. And in her dream, her mother comes to her in a dream. And she goes to her mother, and she's like, you know, Mom, do you know that we're, we're planning on escaping tomorrow? And she's like, I know, my darling, I know. And, uh, and I'm coming to tell you that you'll survive. And I want to tell you where you should go. And she goes and she sort of floats together with her mother. She, she's the one who tells over the story. She floats together with her mother. And they float outside the, 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 that uh, closure. And they float into the country, into the marshland. And then they float into like this, this faraway place where there's a barn. And she points that haystack and says, this is where you're going to go to be saved. And then she wakes up. And she wakes up, she starts getting very emotional. It's the first time her mother came to her in a dream. And she tells her bunkmate, you know, like, you know, this is what happened. That, you know, must be something's going on over here. And she was like, ah. It's a dream, it's nothing, you're just nervous, you're escaping tomorrow, you have a lot on your mind, it's nothing. So she took it to heart and she's like, no, it can't be, it has to mean something. And she went and uh, the next day they escaped, right? And it was October 14, 1943, of the greatest escape in the concentration camp history, as far as I know, that um, they are, they, when they all got together, they got together with, there was a group of, uh, you know, like partitions and people, the Jews that were fighting against the, uh, the Germans and they were all in the forest and things like that. In uh, places of uh, hiding, and uh, she goes, and they were all got up together, and she decides she's like, "Listen, I can't go with you guys. I have to go somewhere else." And they were like, hey, "You're not going to survive by yourself." And she's like, "No, no, no. I, my mother came to me in a dream. I have to go. I have to go to, uh, um, you know, to this place." And they said, "Fine." They bid her farewell, and she went on her way. For five nights and five days, she walked, and she walked, and she finally found this this uh, barn. She knew this barn also in her dream. It was a it was an old uh, family friend, a Christian family friend that she knew them. And she goes into this uh, um, she goes into this barn, and she falls. She finds the hay sack that her mother pointed to, and she falls asleep. She wakes up the next morning, you know, starving. She hasn't eaten in days, and she decides she's going to go roam around to try to find some sort of uh, food. And she goes out. And, you know, this, this, by the way, is a life risk for her. Because if somebody finds her that's not really so, you know, into Jews, which not too many people were, she would be dead. So she went and she found this, this farmer and he happened to give her bread and milk. And she quickly took it and brought it back to her, you know, her little hiding spot. And she wolfed down the entire bread. And uh, when, you know, she was talking, she was making a little noise. And then suddenly she hears a voice, who's there? And she jumps. And she, before she turns around, she's like, 
this is it, you know, that's it. You know, they found me, they caught me, and that. she turns around, and she sees there's, you know, somebody like waking up in the back of the, of the barn. And she looks at, and this person looks familiar from the distance, she gets closer, and she couldn't believe her eyes. She, they, both of them freeze for a second, and she's looking at her brother, the one that died. And she's like, and she's like, Yudel, is that you? And she's like, he's like, Esther, is that you? And they both run, and they embrace each other, and they, you know, they hug, and they cry. And she said, I thought you were dead. And he said, I thought you were dead. And they usually explain the story, you know, we, uh, you know, Yudel said, I was the only one that survived. And uh, Esther said, you know, like, and she escaped and she came here. And so the brother asked her, he says, how do you know to come here? So she said, you know, mother came to me in a dream last night and told me to come here. And she's like, you know, it's unbelievable that, you know, she got that information to go meet with her brother. And together they stayed, they're hidden there for nine months. The, the Christian owner of the barn, when, you know, the, you know, they went over to them and they said, listen, we have an extra, you know, occupancy in the, you know, in the room. He says, you know, if God brought you together, who am I to take you apart? And for nine months they stayed together over there until they were liberated by the Russian army. And uh, they're the ones, uh, she's the one who wrote over the story. So here you see a story about a dream that's obviously very, very difficult to make up and very difficult to actually come to, you know, where would people, you know, come up with that. So there are many people that, you know, they hear dreams and say, ah, it's nonsense. There are many people that take dreams very personally. And they, some dreams they take very seriously. And some dreams that they have nightmares, they can't sleep. And, you know, it bothers them a lot. So, Bezat Hashem, the goal is to understand and to, and to um, uncover the secrets of dreams. And what's really the Torah says about dreams. So before we get to what the Torah says, let... Yes, please. Usually not. That's called lucid dreaming. And that's a, um, it's, it, it, science speaks about it a lot. Um, but uh, we're probably not going to cover that. That if you are interested, you could go uh, research lucid dreaming. There are a few books written about it. Um, very interesting how you could, in your dream, once you know that it's a dream, you could actually control it. And you could, it's also vivid dreaming. It's uh, it's the same concept. But is that something that we should do? Like no. in the guidelines? Of- no, you don't have to do that. Yeah, dreams are very spiritual. Mm-hmm. So okay, so we'll begin with um, what science says about dreams. So first of all. To, to the first, one of the first people probably in the science world, and I'm saying since the science revolution, that spoke about it was Freud. Freud actually wrote an entire book called The Interpretations of Dreams. In The Interpretation of Dreams, he speaks about dreams and speaks about, you know, what, do they mean anything? And he explained it to me, he explained to me that when a person dreams, a person's really dre- dreaming his inner desires. People have desires that they cannot let out and, and fulfill. So those desires that they can't fulfill, they, they present themselves in a dream. So he says that, uh, and he explains it in his, you know, whoever took psychology will be familiar with this, the id, the ego, and the superego, right? So the id you have is your, as your, um, um, you know, your desires, your urges, your, your pleasures that you want, your pulse, your, your, you know, inside forces that make you want to do certain things. Then you have something called the ego, which is like the conscious, which is like, hey, you know, don't do everything that you want to do. And then there is the, the superego, which is sort of the filter on the id, sort of the, it protects over the, um, you know, your desires that you, you don't do anything too crazy. When he says when you dream, he says the, the id is basically your desires are left free to roam. And, you know, you let free to roam and you get to release all your urges and your desires that you need. So he goes and uh, he explains that when a person when a person dreams, he sees all these weird things because that's his really inside desires. However, there's sometimes that a people are so twisted that if the if the body if the mind lets him see what he really desires, he's going to be really troubled by that. So then the this is where the super ego comes in and sort of like says, okay, hold up, you know, you're a twisted mind. I got to protect you, and that's why the, he jump the, they jumble up the dreams and the dreams come up like making no sense. So that's how he, that's how Freud explains it. However, so Freud was, uh, was asked, you know, is, can you tell the future with dreams? 
right? And he said, absolutely not. There's no way that, that uh, you know, from dreams you can tell the future. So we know that uh, um, science always changes, right? So it's a wonder why people believe it. We'll speak about that soon, though. So, but, uh, so recently there was um, in... Uh, you know, we'll speak about, you know, there was, uh, I'll speak about very briefly, uh, a small 19, uh, uh, 2001, uh, September 11th story, that what happened was, it was, there was once a woman that was supposed to go to Disneyland, and she was supposed to go to Disneyland, and she kept on dreaming, you know, she kept on dreaming that her, everything was going dark, and she was spinning out of darkness, and there was a man, she didn't know who it was, who was screaming the number um, 20, uh, what was the number, 2830. 2,830, and she had no idea what that, what that meant. And she got, it really bothered her, and she said, you know what, we're not going, we're not going, uh, we're not flying. And she canceled, the, against her husband's wishes, she canceled the entire flight. And uh, it turns out that the flight that she canceled was one of the planes that hit, um, what, that hit the towers, right? And the number that she dreamt, 2,830, was one of the, at that time, was the, was the tally of dead people in the, in the whole uh, um, attack. So here we see that, you know, it did sort of tell her something in the future, but now let's look at something um, you know a little bit different called the Aberfan tragedy. The Aberfan tragedy was a very interesting, uh, well-studied uh, uh, case. What happened was it was in a place in Aberfan, Wales, in October 21st, 1966, where there was uh, there was a village and it was on the bottom of like a mountain. And one morning, the, there was an entire like mudslide, sort of like an avalanche of rocks and mud and trees that t- that fell on from the mountain into the village, and they. What happened was is that the entire village was covered, was, the entire section was covered with, uh, with dirt and rocks and, 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 you know, completely demolished. There was a school right at the foot of the mountain, and 116 children and 28 adults perished in that, uh, thank you, perished in that, uh, um, in that mudslide. So there was a famous uh, a psychiatrist that lived nearby by the name of Dr. John Barker. He put an ad slowly in, uh, right after this in the paper, and he said, anybody who had previous knowledge of this happening, please write to me. And he got 76 letters from it. So out of the 76 letters, 26 of them were dreams, right? And he had, uh, he had criteria. Yeah, people are just going to be like, yeah, I dreamed about it. He says, how do I believe you? So he had criteria to, to, that it had to be validated. And his criteria was, number one, is the dream had to be told to a reliable witnesses, a witness prior to the event happening. Which means that the person had a dream about that happening, and he told somebody else, hey, I had this weird dream of this happening before it happened. Then number, the criteria number two is that the gap between the event and the dream be as close as possible. Right now, like six years ago, I dreamt that, that you know, there was going to be a mudslide. But it, rather that it was very close as possible. Number three, it would be completely unlikely for the dreamer at the time. Which means the dreamer had no idea that this was supposed to happen and he still dreamt it. And number four is that he, the, the dreamer dreamt it in a visualized manner, not in a sort of, uh, you know, somebody wrote a really dark poem in my dream and you know, I could uh, interpret it to mean whatever I want. It had to be visualized. And number five, the details of the dream matches the details of the, of the event, right? So he was very specific in his criteria and he had a few cases that actually met all this criteria. Of the most famous one was a girl, I think she was six years old if I'm not mistaken, by the name of Earl Nye. Earl Nye, what happened was is that she came to her mother the night before that this happened. And she said, Mommy, I had a very bad dream last night. And um, she, said, uh, she said, you know, she kept on saying that something bad is going to happen to her. And mother says, no, nothing's bad is going to happen to you. Don't worry about it. And uh, she then explained to her mother the dream. She said, in the dream, she says, I went to school and the school was gone. It was all black and it was all dirt. And it was nothing there. And she says, oh, don't worry about it. It's just a dream. And the, the, you know, the little girl replies, says, Mommy, don't worry about it. I'm not afraid to die. I'm, when I die, I'm going to be next to Peter and June. And, you know, the mother got a little bit scared of that. But she's like, okay, here's some ice cream. Here's a lollipop. You know, go and, uh, go and play. It's, it's nothing. 
The next day, she went to school, and she was the one who was perished, and she was one of the people that died in that, uh, in that mudslide. And, uh, you know, the mother didn't even put everything together until they were buried all in a communal grave, all the people that died in that uh, thing. When she was buried, she looked into the right, there was a boy named Peter, on the left was a girl named June, right in between there, right? So she got all this information before it happened, right? So then science started saying, all right, well, maybe you can you know, tell the future, right? So now they're jumping back and forth on how exactly, uh, where exactly they are holding. But um, let's just explain a little bit how, how science explains dreams. Science, first of all, has no definite explanation on, on understanding dreams. They're still not sure exactly how it works. So the, one of the most widely accepted, um, you know, uh, understandings of it is something called the activation synthesis theory. And I'll try to, I'll explain it in like layman's terms. Um, there's something in the brain called pons. Pons they, they, is like a relay station between different parts of the brain, right? And what, they, what the science say is that, is that in the dream, these pons, they, they fire ra- at random in the middle of the night, and they're firing this information at random. The, the mind interprets it as sort of pictures and designs and colors and whatever it is, and that transforms into a dream. Right? However, according to this theory, there is, uh, the, the dreams have absolutely zero meaning, and they're just random, you know, uh, you know uh, electrical brain impulses that are, you know, something to memory, sometimes to not, but completely random mean absolutely nothing. That's one theory. There, is, uh, um, there are other theories that say that, no, that the dreams are, help you to keep the information that you, that you, you know, process through that day. Then there's another, you know, theory that says, no, the dreams help you forget the information in that day. Right, so there's a big machloket and all the you know big science people, big argument on what the what exactly it means in dreams. But um, there's a, there's an interesting research that was done on d- remembering dreams. There are some people that don't remember dreams, and there's some people that remember dreams. Right, so they they tried they did a research in uh, um, the, it was written it was it, this was published in the Journal of Neuros- uh, Neuro- Neuroscience that it was a university in Rome that they've decided that they want to figure out um, uh, how people remember dreams. So what they did was is that they took uh, 65 students. And they put them in, in, the, in their laboratory, laboratory, whatever. So, uh, and they put them in there, and they, for, the, for, for two nights. The first night, they did nothing. Just to get used to it, was, it was room controlled, it was temperature controlled, and it was, um, it was soundproof. Just for them to get used to it, they slept through it, and it was fine. The next night, they all set them up with machines, right, to, to monitor their, their electrical uh, brain impulses. So uh, they explained that there are four types of electrical brain waves. Number one, there's delta, theta, alpha, and beta. Right, and each one represents a different, uh, uh, you know, variations of what's going on in your brain. So together, they make up something called electroencephalography, right, which is the the brain impulses. So otherwise known as EEG. So what they did was is that they this is how they, they did the study is that they realized that when do most people dream during REM cycle, right, rapid eye movement, and they realized if they dream mostly over there, so so they woke these students up sporadically throughout the night. And, and gave, they had a diary next to them. And they, when they woke up, they said, tell us what you dreamt right now. And they wrote it down what they dreamt, and they fell back asleep. And they realized the people that remembered it more, they had, the, the, they had an increase in the theta uh, brain waves. And what they realized was, was the, theta, the increase of the theta in the frontal lobe. This is the same part of the brain that we use to keep our memories. And let's say we see something and we want to remember it, and when we're awake, it's the same part of the brain that we use when we're awake that, that we use when we're sleeping to remember things. Right, so they, they, they realize that that's when, it, that's when people, uh, that's how dreams get remembered. Then they want to figure out, and it's a different study, that how come some people remember and some people don't. And they found out that uh, some people, why do some people remember it, is that if you, the people that remember dreams more often are the ones that wake up more sporadically throughout the night. Which means is you're more likely to remember your dream, according to science, if you wake up right after the dream. 
as opposed to you wake up at the end. So if somebody wakes up in the middle of the night a few times, they'll remember the dreams more often as if somebody that doesn't wake up. And that's why sometimes, according to science, there are people that don't remember the dreams because they're, they're very strong. And they also base this off the alpha waves and, and, you know, and, the, and the response to outside stimuli, which this is not a science class, and I'm going pretty deep into science, so we're just going to leave it as, as, the, as the, um, uh, you know, an, an overview. Is, is This is how they understand it. So... Uh, there was, it was also interesting that Abraham Lincoln, he was assassinated. So, two in, uh, what was that, in 1865, two weeks before he was shot dead, he had a dream that he told his wife. And he told his wife he was in a dream, and in the dream, there was a funeral going on in the White House. So he goes over to somebody and says, who's in the casket? So he said, it's the president. And he says, oh, okay, that's, that's interesting. And he, you know, wakes up. He tells his wife, and they didn't think anything about it. Two weeks later, he died from an assassination. Right, so um, there is definitely something going out there in in science that's that's very conflicting, right? Which is also brings us to to mind that how come you had a question? Yeah. Yeah. It's a little off topic. Sorry. Like, do you think some people are more intuitive with their dreams? Because like that happened to him, but like some people don't have. Yes. Yeah. There are some people. Yeah. They're more usually people that are, and it's not a blanket statement that people are more spiritual. Are are you know te- are more close to that that side of themselves will will tend to take them more seriously and hence remember it more. Yeah, so the, that they is. Remember it, but they still they all, everyone has those dreams. Just certain people remember it more because they. So there are people that don't dream. Depending on, according to science, if somebody has certain damage in their brain, um, they don't dream. And it's a very unhealthy, uh, it's healthy to dream. It's very healthy for science to dream. And so there are certain people that don't dream. And depends on, on what the issue is. So let's say somebody's completely healthy and he still doesn't remember dreams. So then we'll speak about what the Torah says. Science is very foggy about all this information. Right? Which brings us to, to also to mind that, that science is very interesting. If I tell you something that the scientists say, right? If you drink six cups of water a day, it's going to make you lose weight. Bring the water. You know, no one's asking questions. Yeah, whatever. L'chaim, you know, and you drink all the water. Right? They could say for a baby, for example, sleep on the back. All right, every, all the babies are sleeping in the back. Two years later, like, no, sleep on the stomach. All right, so everybody's sleeping on the stomach. Ah, oh, we changed our mind, sleep on the side. And people are jumping like ping pong balls, listening to everything they say. What happens if the Torah says don't do something? Right? Everybody's, uh, oh, is this the rabbis? Or is this the really Torah? Ah, uh, how do you know? How do you know this? Everyone always asks questions on the Torah. Right? Science, everyone takes for granted. The Torah is one thing that never changes. Always stays the same. Science is always changing, which brings you to, brings you to think about, like, why is it that everybody takes science? Yeah, we, we accept everything. Torah, people don't accept. So at first, when I thought about this, this is a, this is a, you know, idea that came to my mind, you know, a long time ago. I thought, okay, this, it's a very simple answer, is because when you learn Torah, it obligates you. When you learn science, it doesn't obligate you. So that's why people want to refute the, um, the Torah as opposed to refute science. But then I realized that's not true. Because science could say, you know, you know, uh, carrots are very fattening. Everyone's going to stop. So it does affect people. This is, you know, so it does affect them. So why is it that the Torah people ask questions and the science people don't ask questions? The only answer I was able to come up with is uh, one person by the name of Mr. Satan, right? He does a very good job of what he does, right? You realize some people are, are uh, you know, they... They fight for something. They realize, I don't even know why I'm fighting anymore. You know, sometimes you're fighting. You're in a relationship and you're fighting. They're like, I, I don't even know why. But I'm so deep into it. Let me just go forward. You know, I'm going to win this thing. Right? The, the, the Satan goes and he, he knows how to, he knows what to do. He'll cause problems where the same scenario in a different situation wouldn't cause no problems at all. Okay, so now moving forward, um, the, the question that we wanted, that I wanted to discuss now is why do we sleep? Right? What is the purpose of sleep? So first of all, there's a very interesting, uh, um, you know, the, they made a... Um, a, a research on animals that sleep and how, how many, how long certain animals sleep. So listen, I'll, I'll list a few things. The brown bat, 
sleeps for 19.9 hours, which means 82.9% of its life is sleeping, right? Then you have the, the python, sleeps for 18 hours a day. 18 hours a day, so they're up for very, very little time of their life, right? Um, a, uh, um, let's say you go to the opposite end, let's say a horse. A horse only sleeps 2.9 hours a day. 2.9 hours, that's it. You know what you could accomplish by sleeping 2.9 hours? A giraffe, only 1.9 hours. Like basically two hours a night and it's good, right? A human is really depends, right? You have an infant that's sleeping like 16 to 18 hours. Then you have a teenager sleeping about, you know, 24 to 25 hours in a 24-hour period. And then you have like a, an elderly person sleeps five to five and a half hours, right? But the people, the, the big holy rabbis, they're able to sleep very, very little time. They spend the entire day learning. You know how much they get to accomplish, which is with, you know, without all this time sleeping. So um, it, it's a very interesting thing about it. Now, now, what's the whole purpose of sleep, right? So the purpose of sleep is not only to rejuvenate your body, it's also to rejuvenate your body and your soul, right? And the, and the, the easiest proof for this is that if someone's laying in bed, doesn't sleep for 11 hours or 12 hours, and he has somebody else that's sitting right next to him and took a 12, uh, you know, half-hour power nap, the one who took the power nap is going to be a lot more refreshed than the one that laid down in bed for 12 hours, which means is that the sleep does a lot more, because the body, you're doing the same thing, so you're, so you're, you're, okay, so you have a little bit more going on, but you're resting, you're resting, and it's still not doing, you know, the same as if you actually sleep. So it works both for the body and the soul. Now, the, the um, Ramchal speaks about, in, uh, in Derech Hashem, section, uh, part 3, section 1, if anybody wants to look it up, very interesting of what happens when a person sleeps. What happens to the soul? Right? We know the soul goes up and the soul you know, goes to different places. What actually happens to the soul when the person sleeps? So he explains that there's five parts to the soul. Right? You have the, the, the nefesh, the ruach, the neshama, the chia, and yechida. Right? Those are the five parts. Each part is located in a different part of the body, um, you know, and some parts are not even inside the body. So he says, when you, when, you are, when you go to sleep, four out of the five parts leave your body. They leave your body and they roam in the upper spheres and the other, other realms. Yeah. Can you repeat the parts? Yes. It's uh, nefesh, ruach, neshama, chia, and yechida. Right? In general, nefesh is generally located in the liver. Uh, ru- um, ruach is located in the heart, neshama is in the brain, chia is surrounding the body, and yichida is above. Right? This is an explanation that I heard. Ruach is heart. Chia is surrounding, and yichida is above. Right? I heard this a long time ago from uh, um, from Rabbi Zamir Cohen. He explained it that way. So a lot about this topic. Yeah. So. So the idea is that he, he explains, that the Ramchal explains that when a person, when a person sleeps, the soul leaves his body. The soul leaves the body and it gets to roam in different places. Now depending where it's allowed to roam and who it's going to communicate to, is it going to communicate with angels? Is it going to communicate with demons? Is it going to communicate with nobody? Right? And depending on the information that he's going to receive or she's going to receive in the dream at night. And uh, um, he, he explains also, this is why... So who's deciding who's going to communicate with? All comes from God. All comes from God, and depending on your level, right? The higher person, now, um, if somebody goes and, and you know falls asleep watching TV and movie, right? He's not exactly being welcomed into the holiest of holiest, you know, in the heaven. They'll be like, yes, why don't you come? Because when you go up to heaven, you're, you're, whatever you're thinking about when you're when you're falling asleep is the is the information that you're coming with, in, in, you know, into heaven. So that's why it's good to fall asleep thinking about something holy, right? So bad because we go, a lot of a lot of people go to sleep watching TV. It's a big problem, yeah. So if you if you were like Let's say for someone who watches TV and they want to, to step it up. So you would say not to watch TV before you go to sleep is better. Like if they had to choose one time of the day, it would be better yeah. like during the day as opposed to when they go to sleep. Right. I like the way you phrased it because you know where I was going with that. You should not watch TV at all. Right, right, right. It's a waste of time. You don't gain anything from it. Absolutely nothing. There's nothing that you gain from TV except depression. 
right? And the easiest proof is, is because when you're, when you're watching TV, you're seeing all these people that are amazingly dressed and amazing, looking amazing. And they do, you know, meanwhile, you know, you see, let's say, a woman in high heels running 14 miles an hour, you know, doing three somersaults and landing perfectly without breaking a heel. And you're like, wow, you know, I can't even walk down the stairs without breaking a heel, you know? And then you have a guy over there that, you know, he's sitting over there and he's driving a $200,000 car with muscles bulging out of any, everywhere and, you know, while shooting, you know, bad guys. And, you know, then they, and you finish the movie, you finish the, you finish the TV show, and you wake up and be like, wow, my life is terrible compared to, you know, James Bond and whatever is going on over there. This is terrible. So you live, you're, you're in a fantasy world, you come out of the fantasy world, and you're like, you know, it's depressing. This is also why all those uh, U.S. Weekly, whatever those uh, fake magazines make so much money, is, is the, the, nobody in the right mind will be like, here, you want to buy fake news that never ever happened, that never will happen? Look, like, yeah, sure. Yeah, here's two. It's all fake. Everybody knows that buys it is fake. There's the, the, all the celebrity news is all fake. Why do people still buy it? Because people feel good that somebody else is doing bad. Right? Because their whole life they're, they're living in that. Everybody knows about all these people in Hollywood. And, know, and, you know, and they're all looking up to them. And then finally when somebody, something bad happens, they're like, ah, Baruch Hashem, I feel better about myself. Right? That you should not make your happiness contingent on anybody else other than yourself. TV, movies, all destroy that. All destroy that. Also social media. Right? You look at all, oh, look at this happy couple. Go to your husband and be like, you never take me out like he does. Right? And he, and he goes back. I was like, you don't look like her. You know? And Shalom Bayit. Right? This is how it works. Right? If they don't say it, they think it. Right? All these things, social media, all these things are terrible. These are terrible for the... Terrible... They don't help at all. People say, oh, it helps me relax. Nonsense. It helps you relax for the time that you're there and you see the romance, the comedy, so you cry a little bit and you eat some ice cream and then, then you get up to your real life and you're even more depressed than you before. Right? All it does is an escape. It's an escape for, for a temporary uh, thing. Right? I guarantee you, if you stop watching things, you'll be a happier person. In the beginning, you'll, it'll be very hard, especially if you're really addicted to it. And, you, you know, the, what is the average time that people actually spend watching TV in America? It was like four hours a day, six hours a day? Which is, you know, it's unbelievable how much time people just stay glued onto a screen, right? No, brain waves are not working. Everything is just like coming in. It's like a drug. Anyways, okay, I digress. So, uh, um, all right, so uh, going back to uh, dreams. So we, in the... Um, we said that the, everything everything leaves from a ruach and up leaves your so it leaves your body and inside your body you still have the the lowest part of the soul which is the nefesh. That's why when we say before we go to sleep we say Adon Olam. Adon Olam we say In his hand, in God's hand, I I give my ruach, right? Which means is literally it means it means is that all the parts of my soul is is going up from ruach and up, right? So nefesh stays, ruach and up goes to God. So therefore we say where I'm giving him, I'm giving God, ruach and up. is all going to God. That's why when we wake up, we say, modani. Modani, we say, sheikhzata bi nishmati. You gave him my soul. Right? What's the, so the obvious question is, is that if I gave you the ruach, you should give me back the ruach. Why am I saying giving back the neshama, the soul? So the answer is, is that there's two parts of a, um, you know, that are, that are correct. There's something called the neshama, which is part of the soul. And then there's a neshama, which means it's the all-encapsulating soul, right? And the thing that we explained last time was, there's New York City, and there's New York State. They're both correct. New York City is in New York State. So the same idea. Nishama is, is like the, is, it can mean both things. It can mean the, 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 this just the city, and it could also mean the state. So when, when we say that in the morning, thank you God for giving me back my Nishama, we're saying the all encapsulating Nishama. Everything. Everything. You put everything back together again, made me a new person. Fresh. So. And that being said, I want to go, um, uh, the, the Torah obviously starts, you know, speaking that there is something like dream. There, dreams is, there is truth to dreams, there is a science to dreams in the Torah, and there, it, it means something, right? And the easiest proof is, is that I'm going to go for the next few minutes, and I'm just going to go just through the, the, the first, you know, handful of dreams in the Torah, right? 
If the Torah has something that speaks about dreams, it means it must be true. You can't be like, well, you know, it doesn't exist. It's fake. It's not. If it speaks about it, it's true. It, and, it, and it exists. So the first person that had a dream was Avimelech. I'll give you the sources also if you ever want to look at it. It's Genesis, it's Genesis chapter 20, verse 3. It says, God came to Avimelech, uh, you know, in the, in the night. What happened was is that Avimelech took Sarah, Abraham's wife, uh, for him. And he wanted to do a certain sin with her. And God came to him and says, you're with a married woman. He says, you're going to die. You go return her. Right? And he went and he returned to her because of that dream. Abimelech was Jewish? No. Nobody, there was no Jews at that time. Abimelech was a Ivri. But uh, he was like, a, you know, because the Torah wasn't given yet. But, um, so he, that means he was, like, Abimelech came after Abraham? Abimelech was in the same time frame. So how was he Ivri? Ivri, uh, Avram, you know, Ivri just means the opposite of the end, which means it's just a terminology that that different. Ivri means different, the other the side. That means Jew. Oh, really? Ivri. So that's probably they took it from that. Also, like in Egypt, Ivri were, were the children of Yaakov. Yeah, because that's what they were known as. Because there were no other. Uh, the, the, no like, if there was another person that was separate or different that wasn't from the lineage, they wouldn't call them Ivri. Yeah. They would? No, they wouldn't. It's only people that were... Uh, Avimelech was not known as Ivri. So he was a potential oh. Jew, maybe. Abraham, no. It was, so it's a, it's a very strong... It's a very, you know, it's a, it's a lengthy topic. Who's the first Jew? You know, it's a, the question of that. But... Uh, um, was he from the same lineage or family? No, no, no. He was a king. Avimelech was a king. And, uh, you know... Uh, was a, You know, in one of the lands over there nearby. So, um, he... No, but he was... Uh, the, the, it's also, you know, Yehudim... Or Yehuda, you know, if let's say you're from, you know, the German descent, that comes from Yehuda. Yehuda didn't come yet. The Yehudim, the word Yehudim and you Jews didn't come yet. So the next person that had a dream is Yaakov's dream. Yaakov's dream, he had a dream in Genesis chapter 28, verse 12. Yaakov had a dream that he was laying down and he saw a ladder. And in the ladder, there was angels going up and angels going down, right, in his dream. And then we have after that, he had Lavan. Lavan was his father-in-law. He had, a, he had a dream. What happened was, is Yaakov, and this is also, this is located in Genesis chapter 31, verse 24, that he went and uh, he basically, Yaakov basically escaped with his wives and, and children out of, the, out of the land. And Lavan went and chased after him. And he said, while he was chasing after him, his father was chasing after him, his, God came to him in a dream and it says, you better not you know, speak to, to Jacob, not good or not bad, which means basically don't touch him. You know, and you know, when, when Lavan actually met up with Jacob, he says, you know, God told me, he says, I can't touch you, I can't do, do any harm with you. So here's another dream that we see in the Torah, that Lavan had a dream. And by the way, people, these people are having dreams, not all of them are righteous, right? Lavan is not righteous. You know, Avimelech was not a righteous person. He still had these true dreams, which we're going to come to explain later. The next person, probably one of the most famous dreams, is Yosef's dreams, Joseph's dreams, right? Joseph had two dreams, right? In chapter 37. In Genesis, he had a dream that he that in in the dream he had um, you know the the he his the symbolic meaning of his dream is that his brothers and his parents were bowing down to him right. And one time he had stars and the moon bowing down to him. Another time he had storks that were bow, bowing down to him. So um, and then after that we had the bakers and the wine dream. This is also in Genesis chapter forty uh, chapter actually most of chapter forty. The the what happened was is Yosef. I just want to rush through and give me two more minutes. We'll finish with the, um, all the all the sources. So he, um, they, there was two people that had a dream. While he, Joseph was in prison, right? Joseph was in prison, and when he was in prison, there was a baker and a winemaker, and they each had a dream one night. 
And uh, Joseph looked at them and says, you know, your, your face looked, you know, something down. Is everything okay? And they're like, so, so the winemaker said, listen, no, I had a dream last night. And in his dream, he explains it to Joseph. And he says, you know, I had, um, there was, there was a, a vine. And I saw that there was three vines. And in the vines, they, were, they started to bud. And then they started to ripen. And I took the grapes and I squeezed them into a cup and I gave them to Pharaoh. So Joseph said, the interpretation of your dream is that in three days' time, compared to the three branches, is you're going to go and you're going to be uh, put back in your, in your uh, position that you were once were as a chief um, you know, winemaker, cupier. So um, the baker heard, you know, this guy, you know, this guy interpreted a dream for the good. So he says, let me tell him my dream. He says, he had a dream that he had three baskets on top of his head. On the toppermost basket was, was Pharaoh's uh, 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 baked goods. And he saw birds were coming and they were eating from it. So Yosef told him, he says, this, your dream means that in three days' time, uh, Paro is going to come and hang you, and you're going to die, right? And in three days' time, that's exactly what happened. And Bezat when we start ex- explaining on the interpretation of dreams, we'll explain how he figured this out. How was he able to add the details that he looked? Okay, so now, the, the, um, there are many people that have dreams, um, and you know, it really bothers them when they have a deceased person that comes to them in a dream. You know, let's say they have a deceased relative, a grandfather, a parent, or whatever it is that comes to them, a friend that comes to them to a dream, and those usually mean, you know, hits person a lot at home, right? Either they feel comforted or they, something bothers them. So, uh, what do, what, what does those dreams mean? What do those dreams, are those dreams mean? Do dead people, that are people are no longer alive, do they know what's going on in this world or they could relay information? Or is it that they're in a different world and completely detached? So, um, there was, uh, um, you know, the uh, a short story. There was, uh, there was a five. It was a family of five children, and the father passed away very young. And throughout the first shiva and the thirty days before to the shloshim, there was uh, two daughters that kept on lighting candles for the, in memory of the of the father. And um, you know, after after thirty days, they stopped lighting the candle. The father came to a brother in a dream, and he said, "You know, it's it's really dark over here. You know, he's and he, you know he did he looked you know it was like it, and he kept on saying it's very dark. There's no light. What's going on? You know." The brother woke up. He didn't know that, this, that his sister stopped lighting the candles. And he calls up the sister and says, you know, I had a weird dream. The first time that, you know, dad came to me in the dream was last night. And he said something about, you know, it's dark, it's dark. I, you know, I kept on, and they were like, oh my God. He's like, we just stopped, light, we stopped lighting for him. So now they kept on, they started uh, lighting for him. You know, until this day, they still light for him because of that dream. There are other, you know, there are other times that there was, a, there was a sisters that were fighting. And uh, they didn't make up before one of them passed away. And uh, one of them came to, to one, one of the sister that passed away came to one of them in a dream and said, "Listen, you know, uh, you're making it very hard for me over here." He, she said, "You know, when you, um, you know, there are two sisters that still didn't forgive me, and that's caused me a lot of problems up in uh, in heaven now." And uh, so the sister that was that was down here that was in the dream goes to, over to her sister that passed away and says, "How's it going over there?" It's like, "Is is you know, how are you doing over there?" And she says, "You know, that I can't really explain too much." But what I can tell you is every little thing that you take on extra in this world, it has so much, it helps you so much in the next world. And she explained that when she used to wear a wig, when she was, uh, when she was married, she used to wear an extra scarf under the wig so that no hair actually accidentally comes out. And she says, you have no idea how much that helps me in this world. He says, uh, everything that you do, you, you, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it takes, it comes into account. And you have to pay for every single little thing. There's nothing that goes untouched. There's nothing, there's no like, oh, forgives these, you know. All right, no, you know, it's okay, come on. Pass through. Everything comes into account. So the, the, the question is now is, is, these are stories that were recent stories. What does the Torah say? So there's a Gemara in Bachot, page uh, 18b, that asks, do the dead people know what's going on in the stream? So there was one time there was a, there was a, a Hasid that uh, he 
gave once a, a you know charity a dinar for for a poor person, and it was based on you know some financial issues. You know the the wife was upset that he gave the poor person money, and uh, this Hasid felt you know you know she was getting upset at him, and he felt that he was getting you know a little bit like you know you know disturbed by it. So he decided he's going to go and sleep in the cemetery. Right. So what happened? Well, the reason was is that is that he when a person feels angry, that means that you're arrogant. So he decided what he's going to do is going to sleep in the cemetery. The cemetery is very humble. It makes you humble, right? You see where you're going to end up, right? There was once a, a very wealthy person that had a lot, a lot of money, one of the wealthiest Jews, and he built himself a coffin. And every so often he would go and put himself in the coffin. Just to, you know, picture that, you know, not to get too haughty, not to get too arrogant. This is where you're going to end up in. Everybody ends up over there. So he goes into the, he goes into the, um, into this, uh, um, into the cemetery and he falls asleep. This was on Rosh Hashanah. And the commentaries explained that what, what, the following things happened to him in a dream. He overheard two souls conversing. And what, there were two girls that passed away young, uh, very young. And they were conversing each other. says, hey, listen, let's go into the next world and see what's going to happen. Now is Rosh Hashanah. Everything is going to be, you know, uh, uh, decided what's going to happen the next year. Let's see what happens the, fo- the following year. So um, one of the girls said, listen, I can't. I was buried in an improper way. I'm embarrassed. So she said, fine, I'll go and I'll tell you what, what, what's going on over there. So she said, fine. So she goes, she comes back and she says, listen, I heard, he says that the people that plant in the first uh, part of the year, there's going to be a very big hailstorm and it's going to destroy everything. So, and then he wakes up. This person that was sleeping in the cemetery wakes up and he's like, all right, this is inside information, you know, let me use it. He goes and for that year, he, he, had a, he, he was in the agricultural business and he decided he's not planting anything in the first, in the first, uh, in the first part of the year. And from what, what, right after the first part of the year when everybody planted, there was a huge hailstorm, destroyed everything. Destroyed everything in the, um, in the, in the fields. He went and he planted in the second part of the year. And everybody's fields got destroyed, his field prospered. Right? And he made a killing of it because he was able to charge a lot more. The next year, he said, listen, I was pretty successful. And he went back. He went back, he slept there, and he got the, he got the, the same conversation. Right? One of the, one of the girls said, hey, why don't we come up? The other one said, listen, I can't. You know, why don't you go and tell me what happened? And she goes and they, she finds out that this time they switch it around. The first year, the fir- people that are, that are planted in the first part of the year are going to be very successful. People that plant in the second part of the year are going to be not successful. Now, everybody else remember what happened the, pre- the previous year. So they were like, listen, we're not going to take the chance. We're planting in the, in, the first, in, the, in the second part of the year. And he was the only one that planted in the first part of the year. And then he was successful and everybody else's field was a big hailstorm and, and it destroyed their thing. So the wife said, listen, how are you so successful? You know, you're usually not that good. And, you know, how are you able to be so, so, you know, know all this information? So he explained to her the whole story. And one time she was talking to the mother of the girl that passed away that, that was buried in, not the, you know, in a place that she was embarrassed. And she accidentally let it slip. She says, well, your daughter is buried in a certain manner. You know, that's, uh, that's uh, very embarrassing. And, uh, the, and that was the end of the story. She, the following year, the third time the, this uh, Hasid went to sleep in the, in the cemetery, the, 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 he overheard the same conversation. Hey, why don't we go up to the, you know, to the you know, next world to see what's going on for this year? And they replied back, we can't. The, the living are listening to our conversation. Right? Which means is, with the Gemara learns from this story, that the dead people can, uh, people that passed away, have a connection. They're able to find out what's going on in this world. That being said, however, it's very, a person should not go, and uh, there was a, there was a, it's a Gemara, straight up in Gemara, Bachot, yeah. So, let's say, nowadays even, when you're in a cemetery, whatever. Don't sleep there. Don't sleep. <laughs> no, but let's say normally when you're in a cemetery, that's a place where they would be more aware of what's transpiring as opposed to... No, not necessarily. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. It depends. It depends a lot. Because, I mean... Generally, the souls are... It's very... People are 
they're spiritual. They're not. It's not like it matters where their body is. Right, right. But generally, there is that where the where the grave is. Is a, there's a small part of the soul that's always that's there, especially in the the day that they pass away. That's it why people go. It does have connection with uh, with the, with the, yeah. There is a connection there, and there are there are. It's a very complex answer because there are souls that that are roaming throughout the the spirits are roaming throughout the world. There could be stuff over here that you don't see, right? So. Um, but the idea is, is that a person should not go, let's say somebody passed away, and, and ask for, you know, I'll tell you a story to explain it. There was a, um, there was a young girl that lost her father, and, it, you know, she took it very hard. You know, I, she wasn't so young anymore. She was, you know, she got married, and then she went through a divorce. She was going through a very, very hard time in her life. And her father just passed away also, and she took it very hard. And she kept on talking to her father's picture. And she's like, you know, and she was explaining, you know, literally she, had, she was going through a really, really tough time. And then she kept on praying. She's like, please come to me, please come to me in a dream. And she kept on praying and crying and praying and praying and praying. Finally, the father came to her in a dream. And he said, listen, you know, it's very difficult for me to be over here. It's very difficult for me to come to you. Uh, but all you have to know is everything's going to be okay. And something like you're going to find someone soon. I think about a few months later, she found, uh, she found the, you know, the, her next husband. And now she's married with a few kids with that husband. Right? So, it's not okay to... to you should not request... For... Yeah, you should not request to have signs. You should not request any of that stuff. Yeah. To have the, the, you know, people that pass away come give you, you know, meet, speak to you in a dream and things like that. Even though it's comfor- it's sometimes comforting for the for the person that's that's down here that lost a loved one, it's very difficult for the other per- for the for the soul to come down. But what if you just people find it comforting if they see, for example, that the you know the deceased is happy, you know, and you know, and they're they're nice and they're comfortable, or they say, don't worry, but don't worry about me, you know, I'm okay now. So they feel a little better about it. So. But in a dream, like the first story you said about the parents, the mother telling the daughter... That's something else. You didn't ask for it. Oh. If it comes, it comes. But don't ask then for it. you should listen to Yes, yeah. Well, well, we'll have to speak about how do you know if it's a real dream or fake dream. We're probably not going to get that Even today. Even when the parent comes to you? Yes. It, it could be fake as well? Yeah. Really mm-hmm. fake? Yeah. Then how mm-hmm. would you have So, stay tuned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sometimes you want to think about it so much. Yeah. Sometimes if you think about it, it's going to come. And that's why it's one of the reasons that it's fake. Okay, so um, there is a... Uh, um, the Gemara speaks about three uh, different ideas. Well, actually, it's many, but we're going to speak about three different ideas that it speaks about dreams. Number one is it says that even a real dream, even though you know it's real, it has some nonsense in it. And the proof is is when you have, let's say, uh, Yosef's dream. Yosef's dream, Yosef had a dream that he had 11, uh, you know, 11 stars and the sun and the moon bowing down to, uh, um, bowing down to him. And, you know, the, the Gemara says, you know, the sun, the 11 stars is his brother's. The sun represents his father. The, mother, the, the moon represents his mother. But the question is, is, the, is her, his mother passed away already by the time he had the dream. So how is the moon over there bowing down? It makes no sense. So the Gemara says every single dream, even if it's a real dream, has some nonsense into it. Which means is there's so, there could be a lot of information given to you in the dream and you feel like it's vivid, it's real. There's something in there that's not true. Right? That's a, the, a, a generalized uh, concept. Now, the next thing... <laughs> the Gemara says is that a dream depends on its interpretation, right? So don't just go announcing on Facebook, hey, I had this weird dream last night, right? And then you have psychic Mary coming to tell you, well, you're like, well, your dream means this, right? And then Shaniqua is going to come and tell you, well, I'll tell you what this dream, I saw in your, my crystal ball that uh, you're going to meet someone special in the next five to ten years, right? And, uh, you know, they'll tell you, don't, don't publicize it, right? If you have a dream and you're nervous about it, you tell somebody who's well-versed in, in you know, in the Torah and a righteous person and well-versed in dreams, and then they could, hopefully could guide you in the right way. So, and the next idea, because again, it goes, it's based off the interpretation. Dreams go after the mouth, which means is if let's say someone has a dream, someone interprets a dream, and we'll speak about this interpretation, it goes how the person's going to interpret it. That's how the dream's going to come true. What was the quote? Something about the mouth? The dreams go after the mouth. 
So, uh, the, and the last thing is, is this Gemaran Bachot in 57b that says that sleep is 160th of death, dreams are 160th of prophecy, fire is 160th of hell, honey is 160th of the man, and Shabbat is 160th of the world to come. Right? So now we have to say, what's this number 160th? Right? What is it 160th? Where does it mention that? Bachot 57. Can you repeat all of them? Sure. Sleep is 160th of death. Dream, just do this. Sleep, dream. Fire, oh, well, you're not going to actually understand that. Sleep is 160th of death. Dream is 160th of prophecy. Fire is 160th of hell. Honey is 160th of the man. And Shabbat is 160th of Olam Abba. So, the, what does it mean 160th? Right? What's this number? So, um, I could show it to you afterwards. So, what it means is, is that, if, let's say you have a big pot. If you have a big pot of kosher food, and then you have a little piece of non-kosher food falls into that pot. And that little piece is less than 160th of volume to the large pot. And it meets other criteria, it's not spicy, it doesn't have any flavor, it doesn't change the taste and things like that. Then it becomes nullified and the pot is still kosher, right? Don't, uh, you, again, use a, a rabbi at this discretion, right, if, if this happens. So, but that's a generalized concept. Now what does that mean? Why is it? Because it, what, the answer is, the reason is, is because when you're saying 160th, it means it's like, it's a very small, minute amount that's in there. Which means it's there, but it's not really there. That's why it's kosher. It's there, but it's not there. The same idea, dreams is 160th of prophecy. Dreams can be prophetic, but most of the time it's not. So it's there, but it's not there. Right, the Rambam and Moran Nebuchadnezzar explains, and he says, the way that people dreams is, is by the way of the imagination, uh, that the imagination gets manipulated, and and, sh- and you're shown uh, certain things. In uh, in, pro- in prophecy, for all prophets except for Moshe Rabbeinu, they all dreamt with their imagination, which means their imagination was the only thing that was uh, you know was active at the time, and God sort of made the their visions. Uh, based on whatever he wants it through their imagination. And that was a prophetic uh, vision. Right? So he says, because prophecy uses imagination, and because dreams use imagination, therefore we relate it, one sixtieth of dream is, uh, is, a, is, is, a, is a prophecy. Make sense? Okay. So, now there's a very interesting, there's, um, uh, the, there's, a, there's a Shmuel, someone from the, from the Gemara, that he says, he used to be like, you know, if it was a good dream, he was like, yeah, the dream means something. If it was a bad dream, he's like, nah, dreams mean nothing. And he had, he had verses for this. So he used it, there's a verse in Zechariah, chapter 10, verse 2, that says, V'chalamot shavi which means, translation means, dreams mean nothing. Dreams speak of vanity. Dreams mean after, shavi And then there is another pasuk in Numbers, chapter 12, verse 6, that says, V'chalamot which means, I will speak to him in a dream. So there's two very contradicting verses in the Torah. Number one tells you, dreams means nothing. Number two tells you, God's going to speak to you in a dream. So which one is it? So the Gemara asks this question and answers in Gemara in Bachot 55, explains and says that what it means is it depends where the source of the dream is. If, when is it dreams are fake? When the source of the dream is through a demon. When is a dream real? When is the source of a dream is through an angel. Right? So that's what the Gemara says. Now, how do you tell if it's something, if, if it's a dream from an angel versus a dream from a demon? Right? So there's a, there's a very big Kabbalist that, uh, you know, lived in uh, Baghdad. His name was Rabbi Hutif Taya. He had in his, uh, uh, he has um, a book, called, a sefer called Minchat Yehuda. In Parshat Miketz, he speaks about the, uh, the, how to tell the difference between dream, demons and, and, um, and angelic dreams. So he says when, when a person, when a person has a, uh, he first explains it, he says, if it's, if, if it's a dream that you're scared inside the dream, which means it's in the dream, something bad is happening and you're sweating, your heart's pounding and you cannot focus and you're, you're, you're scared. You're scared in the dream. That's a dream that's not, that's not a, that's not an angelic dream. It's a demonic dream. So he explains it. He says the, he says, why would, he explains it first of all with a, with a story from the Torah that there was, um, there was a prophet Isaiah that he came over to King Cheskia and he says, you're going to die. So he says, well, am I going to die? He says, not only you're going to die, you're going to die in this world and not live in the world to come. So he says, why? And he said, because you didn't try to have kids. He didn't get married. 
So, so King Chizkia said, okay, so give me your daughter and we'll get married now to avert the creed. So King, so the prophet said, no, it's done. It's sealed, you got that thing. So King Chizkia goes back to him and says, listen, there's no such thing as it's done. Even if you have a knife at your neck, you should never give up hope. And he brought this from his, from his ancestor, the King David. He says, the person should never give up hope. He says, for what did God tell you this? Just for FYI, you're gonna die. God doesn't give you information unless you're able to do something with it. So if God gives you a bad dream or whatever it is, there's a purpose for it. He says, there is no purpose of God scaring you in the dream. It doesn't, that doesn't help. Afterwards, you get scared, that's something else. But in the dream yourself, it's of no purpose. God wants to give you the information. So he says, if a person in the, in the, if a person gets, uh, in the, in the dream is get scared, that must mean that it's a, uh, that's a demonic dream, because there's no purpose of it. However, and, uh, if, and he brings some criteria how to know if it's an angelic dream. Number one is if they are, if it's a very, very clear dream. It's very vivid. And there's not a bunch of unrelated ideas, right? It's not like you're walking and suddenly you're on a plane, and then you're flying and then you're riding a giraffe, right? It's like completely weird, different things. He says, additionally, he says, uh, you're not frightened, like we spoke about. You're not frightened in there. And third is that you perceive yourself as, as you're totally awake. Very, very clear. He says, if you have these criteria, it's very likely that the dream is from an angelic uh, dream, and you could take it for that, it, that it's actually, it means something. Um, and the demonic dream, again, is the one that you're scared, and you're scared in the dream. It doesn't really mean anything. And you don't have to worry about that. So, he... Um, he says also, if somebody does have these like demonic dreams and they have these nightmares, how to get rid of it is one of the things, and we'll speak about it when we speak about nightmares, but just to, you know, so being that we're on the subject, is that it's very important for a person to say, before they go to sleep. That's a school to have good dreams. Right? It's, 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 uh, it's very apropos to have good dreams. Someone has bad dreams, very important, even if you don't have bad dreams, say shma before you go to sleep. So, there is, um, there's also that, that even though that these you know, demonic, if I could say, dreams are fake, there's still sometimes truth to it. And the explanation is as follows. It says, let's say you have somebody that's a pathological liar. Always lies through their teeth. Everything. Everything they'll lie, right? They'll, they'll, everything that they say comes out a lie. But, you know, sometimes they'll say, they'll say the truth sometimes, by accident maybe, right? Sometimes they'll, they'll come in and it's wet. They'll be like, is it raining outside? And they'll be like, yeah, it's raining outside. No, I don't believe you. You're a liar. You probably just watered yourself and then you came in. They're like, no, sometimes he says the truth. Right? So, so to the demon. So, so if, let's say you have a dream that you're, it's very possible that even if it's a fake dream and even if it's a demonic dream, and that, it's still possible that it has some truth into it. Right? So he said, so there was a, uh, the difference is that the dreams that come from a angel, they could come true five, ten, many years in the distance. Because, you know, angels have the, the, they have information on the distant future. Demons do not have this, the, the information on the distant future. They have only for the short, near foreseeable future. So sometimes they'll give you information, uh, you know, in a dream, and it might come true, but it could still be from a demon, right? Because they have the short, uh, foreseeable, the short foreseeable future. Um, how they get into your dreams is they go through your ear. Right, they could whisper certain things in your ear, and you make you dream certain dreams like that. And he explains, Abu Huda Fatai explains that you could you could even test this. You go to a little child, and you could tell them you could start whispering in its ear, you know, different, uh, you know, like uh, you know, apples, green apples, you know, right when he right when he falls asleep. And he says, in, in the morning, you could ask him, say, you know, or later when he wakes up, you ask him, what did you dream about? He'll say apples or something, something like that. But this is particularly right when you right when you fall asleep, right in the beginning, because that's when your mind is more, uh, you know, that's why people have those types of dreams, right when they right when they fall asleep, it usually doesn't mean anything, right, as opposed to dreams right before you wake up. There was, uh, um, there was, uh, um, there was one somebody that, that uh, went over to Rabbi, and he tells over his dream, he said, I had a dream that his brother passed away, and he t- in, his, in his dream, the brother told him where he's buried. 
And he goes, and they found out that it's exactly, he died really recently, that I guess it was like some murder case or something, and they found out exactly where he was buried. So he goes over to the rabbi and says, listen, I'm not a righteous person, I thought only righteous people get these, you know, dreams that I mean, you know, are like are real. So he says that, he answered, he says, most of the time, yes, but it's, it, it's not unlikely to have somebody who's wicked, somebody who doesn't have a key, you know, that could still get real dreams. That could still get, and we, the proof is from the Torah also. We have Laban, we have Bilam also has these dreams, right? And these people, um, you know, Abimelech, they have these dreams that they're not, uh, at, by any means, uh, which way or form, in a holy, uh, righteous, uh, level. Okay. So, uh, there is, uh, any questions so far? Make sense? We're clear? Okay. So, um, for the next few, we have a few more minutes, right? Mm-hmm. So, there is, um, there was a Gemara in Baba Batra in 10a that says Rabbi Yochanan ben Zaka had a dream, and he had a dream that his uh, that his nephews were going to lose 700 gold coins from the government. So that year, so he goes. Hey, no, I'm sorry. He had a dream that they were going to lose 700 gold coins. Didn't say from where. And in you know throughout the right when he woke up, he goes over to his nephews and says. They started saying, okay, why don't you give charity for this cause? Why don't you give charity for this cause and this cause and this cause? So they started giving. And throughout the year, he keeps on telling them, give more charity, give more charity. So I didn't ask any questions. The big rabbi says, I'll see if they give. And at the end of the year, they get a, like a notice, a memo. Hey, you know, the IRS is coming uh, after you, right? And the IRS back then is very different than the IRS is, is here, right? It's not like, let me see your papers. It's like, here's what you owe, and we don't care about anything else. This is what you're going to pay. Or we're going to start taking stuff away. So uh, he, he, the, when, when they heard about this, they got really scared. They're going to take away the entire business. So... He says, don't worry, they're only going to take 17 coins, 17 dinars. So they're like, um, all right, it's a weird number. They come, and they only take 17 dinars, right? So then they go back to the rabbi and says, how, how is that possible? How did you know exactly how much you're supposed to take? So he says, oh, it's very simple. I had a dream a long time ago that you were going to lose 700. So I pulled it out of you through tzedakah, and I knew that's what you had remaining that you didn't give yet. So they said, Rabbi, how come you didn't just tell us we would have given you 700 on the spot? Why do we have to lose the 17? So you know how the people say, right? When they get a ticket, they'll be like, ah, oh, I wish I would, you know, I would give this at least a charity. Why not have to spend $500 in the stupid city, right? They're going to do nothing with it. Uh, so I might as well give it to charity, right? Always after the fact. So they said, why do you tell us? We would have gave everything. Why do we have to give 17 dinars? So he said, uh, if I would have given to you, your reward wouldn't have been as great. You would have given because you know you're going to lose it. He says, I want you to get the full reward for tzedakah. That's why I gave it to you without even realizing, you know, without you realizing that you're going to be giving it anyway. That's why a lot of people, you know, it's, it's uh, why don't we know the future? You don't know the future, it gives you more of a reward. If you know the future, you know what happens, right? It's a, it, you don't get as much reward, right? Besides the fact that all these fortune tellers, palm readers, uh, psychics, all these things are forbidden from the Torah, right? You're not allowed to, you should not go to them, and you should refrain from them. They don't help you at all, the only thing they do is they harm you. You have to be very careful with Kabbalists that also that if they're telling you the future also. Some of them are real, most of them, most of them are, but you have to be careful. Some of them are, are not who they say they are. Right, especially if they start asking you for money and things like that. And, you know, again, this is a case by case. There are many, many holy Kabbalists. I don't want to speak against Chassam Shalom against any Kabbalist. But, um, but, you know, there, there is a, you know, for, I'll give you an example. Someone is supposed to, is dating a girl and thinks he's going to get married to them, right? There are many people nowadays, what they do is they go to certain Kabbalists and they give them the names, right? Get the names, get the date of birth, and says, oh, is this a match, right? There are very few people, generally, the biggest Kabbalist right now, you know, the, one of the heads of the, of the Yeshiva, Rabbi Yaakov Hilab, he wrote a book called Tamim Tiyad, and he says you should not do these things. You should not do these things. It says, Tamim Tiyad al Hashem Elokecha. You should be pure to God. Don't start, don't, you know, if, if everything matches, Mazatov, right? Don't start worrying about all these names. These are not, these are not good things. There's once, actually, there was once somebody that went over to a big rabbi and says, you know, the names don't match, you know, and I really like her, you know. So first the rabbi says, what are you doing? What are you going to the names? You know, he says, everything matches, everything is good. He says, go, Mazatov. Go make a, make a, you know, make the Lachai. And they went and they got married and they're happily married, right? 
So usually when people give names, they give birthdays also. Mm-hmm. I always heard that there was truth to that. There is. And, but is it something that we should ask about? Before? You should still not do it. You should, right. But like, let's say, let's say if it's before going out and you don't know if should still not do it. And the mother's name. You should still not do it. You still not do it. The pasuk says tamim You should be pure to God. Right? Don't don't uh, rely on these things. What happens if that's your soulmate? Right? And yeah, and you go and the rabbi says, ah, absolutely not. Right? The Kabbalah says, no, don't don't bother, don't touch this with a ten foot pole. Right? And he made a mistake, a little thing. Right? Human error. You just lost your soulmate for what? So you know, it's but not worth it. It's also true that if um, a guy's mother's name. Like he shouldn't date a girl that has the same name as his mom? Depends, depends. There are some people that say it's fine, it's not a problem, and uh, I know there are people that married them, and, you know... Because some guys... Some guys, some people are particular, there are some people that are not... There's some people that are not... There is some. There are people to hold on, I think the Bells of Rebbe, if I'm not mistaken, oh, the, no, Bub of Rebbe or something like that said it's absolutely not a problem. If you have uh, that, it depends on the, the idea is well, what is the problem? The problem is, is let's say he has his, uh, one of the problems is you, you know you have your wife and your mother next to you and they both have the same name and let's say their both name is Rachel, right? And you you can always call your mother by the first name, so you say hey Rachel, and then you know it's not it's not it's not proper for the mother. So uh, there are some there are some, there are there are people that say that it's not a problem. That's not a problem. Obviously, speak to your local rabbi for for that. If the man doesn't want to and you know he feels like you know this is my mother's name and you know so what well, you know force him, but no, go out with me. I'm the one for you, right? You just don't know it yet, right? Here's where we're going to get married, and here are three kids' names. <laughs> no, I'm not crazy, huh? Yeah. Sorry, so, so uh, let's say, like, if you're not, if you're not asking if, if you should even be with the person or not, or let's say people who are already married, is it helpful for them to learn about their own birthdays and mazalot in order to understand each other better and how they can help each other, or you should stay away from that because it gets dangerous. You should, in a general idea, you should stay away from it. There, there are, it's, there is a truth to it. There is a science behind it. There, the Torah does speak about it, but it's very few people actually know it. And it's very dangerous to go into these types of things. You know, that the, you know, I, I'm very into these things, and I'm, I, I love Kabbalists, and I, you know, and, and I, I, I live, you know, sometimes, you know, if I, you know, I see this like big Kabbalist that comes in, and I hear stories about him. I'm, you know, I love, I, 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 this is what I love, I love to it, right? Ever since I kid, I go with, you know, I go, I go to Israel, I go to Kabbalists, right? And I come here also, Kabbalists come here, I go, I see Kabbalists, I'm not saying anything against Kabbalists, Kabbalists are very holy people, right? But the idea is, is that there are certain things that it also depends who's doing it, right? You have the biggest rabbi in Israel telling you that, then fine, you could, but just in general, the people, regular people should not be, should not be dealing with it. You shouldn't ask about it. You shouldn't ask about it after, even after you're married, right? What are they going to tell you? They're not going to tell you anything that you don't know. You know what you have to work more about what he's going to start telling you. People are like, oh, I see you have an anger issue. Oh, I do have an anger issue. How did he know that? It's like, oh, now I must know, now I must need to work at it. No, you know beforehand, right? So he just told you, so you're, you're like, wow, that's really cool. But you know what you need to work on beforehand. Everybody knows what they need to deal with before they go into the, all these people and be like, hey, you should do this and you should deal with that. Or let's say it's just to understand someone, the person where they're coming from. If, if like, you know their struggles, then you can like cut them some slack and understand. I don't know. You could figure it out without that. You could figure it out without that. If you're perceptive enough and you're able to just see what's going on, it's better to it's better to avoid these things as much as possible, right? And again, if you want, you can look at it. There's a book called Tamim Tiyeh. Uh, there's a, it's in English. It's called Faith and Folly, if I'm not mistaken, by Rabbi Yaakov Hilal. 
and it speaks about all these different types of uh, things on halacha. I think it's called faith and folly, if I'm not mistaken. I might be wrong with that. It's by I know it's by Rabbi Yaakov Hillel, and in Hebrew it's called Hamim Tiyah. And uh, he speaks about all these things about palm reading and how you're not supposed to do that. Also, you know, all different uh, you know idea capitalistic things that you're not not to say that there's not a, 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 a there's not a truth in it. There is. There is people that know how to read palms, and there is a truth to it. There is people that know how to read faces, and there's a truth to it. But in general, in our day and age, in our level, most people do not, and it's better to refrain from it. Right? It doesn't help. Right? And it's very, it gets also very dangerous. You know, the people that go and, uh, you know, there was a story that once there was a, someone went over to a rabbi. Uh, the same idea. He asked him to, you know, went out and read his palm and he says, don't marry this girl that you're dating. You know, and he went over to another rabbi and he says, you know, I think I should break it off. You know, they was engaged. And he, the rabbi, the big rabbi, right? He's a big, big rabbi. He says, what are you, are you joking? He says, what do you mean? What do you mean? Because of this? He says, don't worry about that. Then he told him the pasuk, you have to be, you have to be pure to God. Right? Don't worry about everybody else predicting the future for you. You do what you have to do for God. God will take care of you. Right, that's, uh, that, you know, the, the idea is is that the more you know, the, when you listen to God, God is going to take care of you. God is not going to even it, you know it, it shouldn't it shouldn't be said that. But even people that don't listen to God, what do you think? That you're, you're God's children. God's not going to take care of you. God's going to everything that happens happens for a reason. Right? You want to live a happy life. You want to live a good life. The more the more closer you are to God, the more cl- closer that you are to the Torah, the happier and more successful, and everything is going to come smooth to you. Do you have any pesukim for that? Like, if you want to tell it over to someone. I mean, which pasuk? Tamim tiyah, Hashem no, I'm saying like the more the closer you are to God, the, the better your life will be. <laughs> Looking at all the Torah, open any any pasuk. Yeah, but like it says if you if you listen to me in bechukotai tilechu, look at the pasuk bechukotai, right? That's it. In a nutshell, like when you're giving it over to someone, you can look at it bechukotai. Pasuk bechukotai. It says that if you listen to me, I'll give you blessing. I'll give you rain. I'll give you every blessing that you want. If you don't listen to me, I don't want to list all the curses. There's a bunch of curses there. They're not going to be so uh, uh, you know great. Any other questions? If everything happens for a reason, the reason could be bad too, no? The reason could appear bad, yes. It could appear bad, which means is, is that, is that uh, I'll give you an example like this. Somebody walks in from a third world country, never saw the hospital before in his life, right? He gets blindfolded, he, he, he's on this magic bird, he flies down, he falls down, he doesn't know how he got there. They blindfold him in an airplane, by the way, right? He, he, they, oh, they bring him to the hospital, they unblindfold him in a, in a, um, in a surgery, Right? The first time he sees surgery, what does he see? He sees people that are dressed like in masks. They look like ninjas, right? They're not, and there's blood everywhere. And they're each holding knives. And there's a big light. And there's a guy laying there, completely unconscious. The guy is going to pick up the nearest stick and try to, you know, it's like, what are you killing this person for? And everyone's holding back. No, no, no. What do you mean? He's like, they're, they're performing life-saving surgery. The guy has a tumor and they're, they're removing it. And the guy says, what do you mean removing it? Look, he has a knife and there's blood everywhere. And this guy's passed out. I see his stomach. What do you mean he has a tumor? And he doesn't understand. Right? And he says it looks really bad. The whole situation looks really bad, but really it's for the good. There's sometimes in life that things happen that it looks really bad. It doesn't look like it's good. It says, how could this be for the best? How is it possible that this could be for the best? And the answer is, it's not only for the best, it's, it's, it's the best thing that could have happened to you. Right now you don't see it. It's like somebody walks into a movie in the middle of the scene, right? And he sees somebody pushing a little old lady down the stairs. And be like an evil person, right? You didn't see 30 minutes ago that lady just shot, you know, like 40 police officers, right? Black Lives Matter, right? Got to throw that in. So, uh, um, so she, you know, and you come in the middle of the show. You're right now, even though you're living your life, you're still in the middle of the show. You don't know your previous reincarnations. You don't know what you happened. You know, you don't know what sins you have to pay for. You know, see, this is why that people don't understand that that there are certain things that people bring bad things happen to themselves. People make bad things happen to themselves. One of the things is that someone doesn't keep Shabbat. Someone doesn't keep Shabbat, even if they do Shabbat, even if they eventually start keeping Shabbat, they still have to pay for all the Shabbat that they didn't break. Shabbat is one of the thirty-six things that are karet. That is, you get cut off. And even if you do tshuva on that, you still have to go through suffering in order to get cleansed. So it makes absolutely no sense for somebody to go and break Shabbat for what? For, to go on the phone, to go shopping, to go you know, on a car? Because they're, they're hot. People who never 
kept Shabbat and they started keeping Shabbat, now they need to be punished in order to um, cleanse themselves. Cleansing is a, is a, that's more of a Christian term, but yeah, but but yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. If somebody is about Shuba, right? If somebody is about Shuba, first of all, there's a lot of factors that only God knows how, to, how it plays, right? When did the person start becoming about Shuba? Let's say a guy doesn't never heard of anything about religion. They come into religion, they come into some classes, and they start realizing, okay, this is real. You know, I realized my whole life was fake. I realized that this is the truth, and they start changing their life right then and there, right? That person could, can, and I'm not saying only God knows, can be considered on the category Tinokshin Ishba. Tinokshin Ishba is, for example, you have a little baby that's captured by, by uh, you know, when he's born, captured, and, and sold to a faraway land. They're not. Most people are not. So, so yeah, but let, let me explain the, the concept. So most people are brought up in a completely secular environment. Not only are they brought up in a completely secular environment, they're brought up against religion. They're like, oh, this is not against it, right? Those people are, everything is fake, everything is fake. So they're not, they're not showing the truth. They're not, they don't know anything about it. They're very possible, according to some opinions, that it's possible that you could consider them it, possibly, again, in that in the category. Very unlikely, though, because there's so much to everywhere nowadays. You can't run away from it, right? Christians are becoming, you know, are converting. Christians are starting to keep the seven... There's a big movement of seven Noahide laws, uh, people. I don't know what they're called, the Noahides or something like that. They keep the seven laws of, of, the, of, the, of, the, of, the, of Noah. So, you know, there, there are people that, that uh, you know, that push it off. They'll come, they know the truth. They know they now keep Shabbat. They know they have to keep Shabbat, but they don't. They, it's too hard for me. It's too hard, I can't do it right now. Right? That person, absolutely. They can't, you know, God said you have to do it, you have to do it. It's not, it's, it's, you know, the problem is that people say, I can't. I can't, it's too hard. It's, that is 100% nonsense. There's no such thing as I can't. It's only I don't want it bad enough. If you want something bad enough, anything you can do. You can do anything that you want if you want it bad enough. The only reason that you're not doing it is because you don't want it bad enough. Right? And it comes to anything, because school, marriage, whatever it is, anything is accessible to you. Right? I, um... I, I gave you this class, and I'll give, I'll give you this, uh, this example. This is a very, you know, I don't know if I, I said it over here. Um, there was, uh, um, and if I did it, that's good. I'll tell you two stories to explain how people, you know, give up when they really can't. There was once a, a marine biologist that did an experiment with a, uh, um, with, with a shark. And they put a shark in a big pool. And what they did was is that the, in the pool they put some feeding fish, right? And the shark saw the feeding fish and went like a fat kid off a diet on a cake, you know, completely demolished the entire thing, right? The next time, when the shark got it, was time for feeding again, they put a fiberglass, a clear fiberglass, um, you know, uh, divider right in between that. And they put the shark on one side, and then they put feeding fish on the other side. The shark saw the feeding fish and started running afterward and was trying to eat it, trying to, trying to get it. But, you know, it couldn't, you know, it wasn't able to, uh, you know, it wasn't able to actually, uh, you know, get it. And for one hour, it kept on trying. And the story, I don't want to say because I think I said it before over here, but this, uh, the, 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 the way that it explains it is that it, eventually they started doing it less and less time. The, the, they kept on doing it the next day and the shark started, you know, stopped trying to get it so, so hard after, you know, a half hour and then 50 minutes. And eventually it stopped trying completely. It saw the fish over there, it stopped trying completely. And eventually what happened was is they took off the, the divider. When they took off the divider, the fish were swimming right next to the shark. The shark didn't even eat them. Why? Because it always thought that I can't do it. I can't eat it because I'm blocked with something. A person in their own mind think I can't. I can't keep Shabbat. I can't be modest. I can't keep kosher. It's too hard. It's hot. It's this. It's a, the kosher, non-kosher food tastes so good. That's nonsense that I can't. It's only the reason is, is I don't want to. If you want to, you could do anything. Anything is possible, right? There's a, somebody that wants to lose 50 pounds, right? They can't say I can't. It's I don't want hard. It might be very difficult. I'm not saying it's easy, but you could do it. If you want it hard enough, you can do it. I don't know how we got to here. Any other questions? Yeah. We got there by asking um, if people get punished. For oh, okay. So, so the idea is going back to Shabbat. So, so you know, 
you can't. There, there is, a, you know, like in their stories that people come back and, and you know they, they they visit their kids and they, one of the main things that they say is that nothing goes. Everything is you get judged to the T, right? You can't over here. You could be like it's too hard. I can't do it. Yada yada. You give all the excuses. Up there's no excuses. Up there, they know what's going on in your mind. They know what's going on in your heart. They know what's going on in your surroundings. How you were brought up. Everything takes into the factor, right? But nothing gets for nothing goes. Everything goes according to exactly the way that it's supposed to, right? So. Everybody knows themselves. Most people, you know, maybe some people it's very hard, very impossible. Most people could keep the keep the basics. It's basics. What Shabbat? So you just keeping Shabbat is just not breaking Shabbat, right? Forget about everything else for now. The number one thing that you have to do is not break Shabbat. Just like sit there, don't turn on a phone, don't turn on electric, and that's it. Go relax, sleep for twenty five hours, right? You're a girl, so it's easier. It's easier. You don't have to go to shul. You don't have to. You know, there's all there's all different things that you you know. It's a lot easier for you. Just sit there, right? And eventually you'll get to enjoy it. People ask people that, that, ha- that weren't keeping Shabbat, and they start keeping Shabbat, they say it's the best thing. Right? I speak to, the, you know, the, in the Baruch Hashem, in the, in, the, in the men's class, we had a very, very large amount of people that started keeping Shabbat. Right? Friends, it usually happens. Yeah. Friends usually start. You know, what happens is, and they, grow, you know, and they hang out together, they're friends, and they're all keeping Shabbat now. It's an amazing thing. Shabbat is mikor, kihi mikor bacha. Right? We say that in, in L'chadodi. What the source of blessing is in Shabbat. Uh, your 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 life will be better. Your life will be more blessed when you keep Shabbat. Any other questions? Should we go a little further on the dreams? Yeah, yeah please. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, please. Now, now is the time for questions. Every time it's a question. So. What about dreams in your So your question is, can you dream about something that happened in a previous life? Yeah, like let's say somebody has dreams that like um, they don't they don't make sense, but it's. Always the same topic. Yeah, yeah, reoccurring nightmares usually is where it, is where it happens. So yes, there is a, um, um, there is, and this is a good dream. So there is documented in, uh, and this is not in in uh, the Torah sources, but there is documented in in secular sources where people uh, dream about their previous life. Usually, it's more children. It's usually when they're children and they're still connected to that previous, and they dream certain things, certain dreams. And there, there are certain psych, uh, psychologists and psychiatrists that studied those children, and they actually went and they validated the dreams that they had based on the people that they say that they were, and it, it all correlated. So it's very possible that those people, and this is according to science, right, that they're dreaming past lives, uh, things that are happening to them. Usually, it happens when they are younger. They dream names like of. They dream about how they die. They dream about, let's say, going into a ship and sinking and then choking, and it's very hard for them to breathe. You know, things like that. It's not like a, so, but it's not like so symbolic that they don't. No, no, they they could actually. It's not symbolic. It's like they see the whole scenario. They see it. They dream about that entire the entire part of their life. Because again, our body is new. You're come, you see a little baby. I saw a little cute little new baby. That baby could have been here ten times before. It could be a thousand years old. This baby, right? It could have been who knows how many lives that they've been here before, right? So the the, the body is new, but the soul is, is is still old. That's why you come with baggage, right? When you are there's a reason why you are born to a certain family, right? There many people say, well, it's hard. I was born in a non-religious family. How am I supposed to become religious? Right? There's a reason that you are born in that family, and you weren't born in the family because that's your test in life. There were certain things that you did in a previous life that caused you. For whatever reason, to be to be born in this exact scenario, and that's why you have to deal with your things that you have to deal with. Everyone in their own on their own level, on their own things that they have to deal with, and that's the things that fixes their soul that they messed up in the previous life. Um, could this be like a spiritual explanation for why babies cry when they're born? That they that basically like their soul coming to this world is so fresh that like they're. 
that they don't want to, you know what I'm saying? Generally, a soul doesn't want to come down to this world, so that part you're right. As a baby, I don't uh, know. I don't know. Is it from the Torah source? It's painful. The birth is painful. For the baby? Yeah, they got, you, you got the size of a watermelon getting squeezed. Well, you got, you got, whatever, I don't have to explain it. Yeah, I understand, I understand, right? It's, I mean, it's painful for the mother and it's painful for the baby also. The problem is the baby doesn't remember, huh? Did anyone ever talk about it, like, the spiritual side of it? Uh, not that I'm aware of. Could be, yeah, but not that I, not that I read. Not that I read of anywhere. The, the general is, is a baby is, uh, the soul doesn't want to come back to this world. Nobody actually wants to be here. Right, because it's 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 so easy to fall, and as everybody knows, I mean, it's very hard. It's very easy to sin. Right, it's very hard to do good. So people rather be in the next world. They're like, leave me out. But the, some people, we have to come back here for a certain reason. Sometimes it's very difficult. Sometimes not only that, it's like, it's like uh, you know, you could wait, you know, five hundred years until the right scenario. You have to you understand that everything has to be exactly. You have to have exactly those parents, exactly those siblings, live exactly in the place that you live, have exactly those. In order for that to come play, God could have had been manipulating so much in, in, in the world just for you to be born to that family in this time period, in this, in this specific scenario. Yeah, well, yeah, you can say that also. Mm-hmm. Right? For me, everything. God, God, God manipulates the whole world just because you, know, you have to fix something. You know how, that, how kind, that, that, what chesed that is? That means that someone messed something really badly. So instead of punishing and getting upset, what it does is, is recreate the entire scenario so this time you don't mess up. That's an unbelievable chesed. It's unbelievable. The reincarnation is, is that of chesed. As opposed to, let's say, from, for example, uh, hell is more gvuah. You know, Ibu is chesed. You know, kafakela is gvuah. Mm. Any other questions? Okay, so I don't know with the nutrition around here, so we'll go a little more in the um, we'll go a little bit more in dreams. The next the next um, part, well, we'll speak a little bit about it. the next part is where 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 I speak about the difference between real dreams and fake dreams. So we'll start it now. How far we get, and then next week we'll just uh, um, fill you know fill up of where we uh, where we ended off and, and recap on this uh, on this idea. There was actually another uh, interesting uh, uh, um, story in the Gemara and Tanit, page 24b, where Ravaz, uh, Ravah had a court. There's a big rabbi by the name of Ravah. He had a court. And the court issued lashes to somebody who had relations with a non-Jew. And the way the lashes work is that they, they, they look at the person and they make sure that this person is able to handle a certain amount of lashes, which means they don't just say, like, all right, you know, you look like you can handle 40 lashes. And they, they actually go, you know, they, they look into it, how is his health, how is everything, and they give him lashes that he's, that it, that not that he, God forbid, would die, because that's not the point. The point is the punishment. So they, something was a miscalculated, whatever it was, and they gave the person lashes and he died. And the Persian king was very upset. And so upset that he said that, you know, now he's going to go and he's going to punish the, the, the rabbi in charge of the court. And they wanted to punish rabbi. So the, the Persian king's mother said, listen, you don't mess with the Jews. Jews, you don't mess, they, they got certain power. And he's like, what do you mean certain power? He's like, listen, these people have a connection into the upper worlds. Don't mess with the Jews. So she said, all right, let's see. He calls this rabbi and he says, I hear you have power. I want you to make it rain, right? And again, not make it rain, you know, make it rain from heaven, right? <laughs> That's what he said, he said, you know, he says, I want to see you make a rain. And back then in, in the Middle East, in order for it to rain, it rains, you know, fr- if you're living in the Middle East, right? If let's say you're going to Israel, usually you're not going to see rain from Sukkot to Pesach, right? The other way around, sorry. From Pesach to Sukkot, you're not going to see any rain. In the, in the summer there, it doesn't rain. It's not like, you know, you, you don't see clouds. You see very little clouds. It's always hot. It's always that. It doesn't rain. So the, you know, so he says that, that uh, he says, listen, it's the middle of the summer, whatever it was. He says, let me see. You have so much power, make a rain. So, you know, he tells, he tells, uh, you know, he says, what am I supposed to, you know, how am I supposed to make it, right? You know, like, so he starts praying. 
He starts praying, nothing happens. Then he starts really praying. You know, there's a difference. You know, there are people that, when do they become, you know, they pray, and then somebody, God forbid, gets sick, and then they realize how they can really pray. You know, with the tears and everything comes out. So then he really, you know, that's how you should always pray. You should always pray that you really, really need it. Like, like you really, really need it. Right? Those prayers, right? The gates of tears never got locked. Right? The, the prayer, you want to pray to get answers? Tears opens up all the gates. So, Shaldima, the gates of tears. So he, so he started really, really shaking the, and, and it started pouring. It, the clouds got cloudy and it started pouring. That night he went to, he fell asleep. And in his dream, in his, dream his father, I believe, um, came to him and he says, don't sleep over here. Uh, the upstairs were very, they're very upset that you, that you troubled, you know, the, the upper world to make it rain. So he gets up and he goes to sleep somewhere else. In the morning he looks at his bed and it was, it was like knife marks throughout the entire bed. Right? So there's also one of the things that's very important is you, oh, not that you learn from this story, but there's a side idea. Don't ask for signs. There are many people who say, God, show me a sign. You know, I found the right guy. Show me a sign. You know, let me see. What do you, you know? You, you, use this for your signs. Right? So um, you're not supposed to ask God for signs. That's, that's a general idea. Okay, so we'll finish off over here. And bizarre this next week, we'll start with uh, um, the difference. How do you tell the difference between real dreams and fake dreams? Right? That's a very, very practical class on, on different ideas on dreams. Any questions before I finish? <laughs> okay. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.